All right, so we are back after everything that's happened in the past two weeks. It's been a wild time, but we're ready to get back in the swing of things. And before we jump into today's guest, we wanted to let you know what episodes are coming down the pipe. So next week, we will have our sports marketing series. The first episode of that series will be with Sabrina and Kate from Oilers Entertainment Group. And that one, we talk a lot about the Oilers social media as well as their consumer marketing. And then the other episode of that series will be with the University of Alberta's Athletic Association. And we'll talk to them about what it's like to run the athletics department and how to market the different sports involved in there with a much smaller budget than someone like the Oilers. And the next episode after that will be a social media episode with a creative agency called Zeg here in Edmonton. And that one's really fun because Jill actually takes over as the host in that show. And we have a few mimosas too, so it gets a little out of hand. And then lastly, my most favorite episode ever, got my hero, Ontario Riley. So that'll be my final episode as host and co-host of this show. So that also means that we're looking for a new co-host. And if you've liked this podcast and want to join in officially next year, uh, we'll have details on that after the show. You're listening to Marketing Major with Josh and Mo. A podcast created for students by students who are curious about marketing. Today we are talking all things lottery and lottery marketing with our first guest from down south, down south meaning Calgary. Uh, So our guest today is Lindsay Allen. She's the account supervisor at McCann Canada out of Calgary, and she's been back and forth between Edmonton and Calgary working in different roles like Booster Juice and Red the Agency. So she's had a lot of experience here in Alberta and sheds a lot of insight today on lottery marketing. So first off, we get started talking about just the overall lottery landscape in Canada and understanding that a bit more. Canada's lotteries are split in terms of there's quite a few that do their own provincial. So there's BCLC, Quebec lotteries, and um, OLG is, is quite a big one as well. Western Canada lotteries covers Alberta, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan. So any any lottery product that you're purchasing is a game that is being produced by WCLC. And um, any sort of external brand that you're seeing is kind of pushed out in collaboration with the individual provincial regulatory bodies. So they need to be accountable to people such as AGLC. And so with that, it means that Everything that we are producing, even if we are doing so from a creative standpoint, needs to be looked at with the lens of responsible gaming, needs to ensure that everything from the the legal, the supers, that we've got the right logos on there. And that can sometimes be challenging because those identities aren't always standardized. And so when we're looking at something, you know, we need to make sure that whatever space we're allocating for those legal regulations can fit, you know, someone like Alberta, where we we actually have some of the least amount of logos that need to be placed, but Saskatchewan has quite a few more. Um, so we need to be flexible and, and respectful to that. And then on top of that, there is also the Interprovincial Lottery Corporation, and that is the brand that runs all of the national games. So Lotto 649, Lotto Max, anything where you, you've got those really big jackpots that are kind of building throughout the country. 
but we at McCann handle WCLC's regional um, thing and uh, draw-based games, um, which is Scratch Products. And we have worked with them also on taking some of those national games and regionalizing them. So in the fall, we did a campaign for them for Western Max, which very similar a draw-based game, pick your numbers, but it just helps to localize the feel. Um, sometimes what we find is that players do feel that a lot of winners aren't necessarily being won here in the West. And, you know, maybe there are more pickups in Ontario. They've got a larger population. And so when we do have those winners, um, for instance, recently there was a really big Lotto Max winner um, here in Alberta. And so we did a campaign promoting that, just kind of showing that, you know, we we are winning those games here and there is that opportunity. It's always a fine balance between promoting the opportunity of winning and that aspirational, you know, what would you do if you won with, we, we don't want to really be driving that kind of negative gambling perception of addiction and the inaccurate understanding that, you know, the lottery is going to change your life. So that's something we we have to be very careful about, you know, treading very lightly and steering clear from um, when it comes to any creative concepts that we may be executing. Yeah, you mentioned the social perceptions right at the end there. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a good segue for a nice question because I'm sure there are a lot of mis- misperceptions about the lottery and, and its relation to addiction and, you know, money and all those things. Um, you touched on a few. Do you want to maybe just highlight the the biggest ones and the most challenging ones from the marketing standpoint and maybe how you guys were try to work your ways around those? Yeah, I definitely think the um the depiction that the lottery isn't going to change your life is is challenging. I think from a creative standpoint, art directors, just creative types in general, they like to dream big. They want to do these fun things. And, you know, we have to be very, very careful that even if we're promoting something that we want to, you know, drive excitement, that we aren't being perceived as trying to create addicts in terms of having them, you know, buying scratch products and, you know, really investing all of their money into trying to win that big payout. On on top of that, it's just a little bit of a balancing act in terms of, I think, authenticity and um, diversity. You know, unfortunately, we can't we can't control who wins. And so sometimes there are challenges in terms of how do we balance promoting our winners and helping potential players maybe tr- trying to see themselves as a future winner or see themselves represented in a, in a spot or whatnot. But I think that's a challenge that a lot of different industries face when you don't have control over who the final, I guess, the winner or the contester is going to be. So it's um, it's definitely something that's a little bit more unique and something that we're continuing to collect feedback from our, our campaigns, any sort of comments that we're receiving and, you know, taking those learnings and applying them to any anything future that we're creating. So in the ads, then what I'm hearing from you is that it's, it's a lot about like, say the last 20 years, it'd be more about like the excitement and those crazy ads that you see when you think of the lottery of like, you know, all these ridiculous things like buying a giraffe or mm-hmm. this mansion or things like that. 
And it seems like it's it's a little bit more tame now when you see a lottery ad and it's more about, you know, you could be able to like drive your motorcycle around Canada with like someone you love or something, which is like a, a different approach mm-hmm. than, than, I don't know why my voice is going so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like making a whistle, but um, sorry about that to anyone who's listening. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just interesting to me that there's kind of been this, this, evolution to lottery marketing from the consumer's perspective like from seeing the ads like that yeah for sure and i think that also i mean even the the tone of our ads is very much impacted by the product so something like lotto 649 or even lotto max like they're really encouraging the dream it's the aspirational it's you know you're taking that you know that bucket list item where you are going to scotland and you know golfing on these premium greens or you're fly fishing in these remote areas and it's beautiful, it's quiet, it's very cinematic. Um, Whereas some of the more regional games or particularly Zing, also known as Scratch, a lot more of those quick excitement. So trying to get, um, you know, players to feel that it's a, you know, typically a lower investment um, for a smaller payout, but how do we continue to make those products exciting? And, um, you know, how do we evolve the actual game and the way that you're engaging with the product so that if we have an exciting product or elements of gameplay that are unique, that gives our creative team and and the customer something to focus in on that's exciting without us needing to um, or being attracted to potentially promoting those larger than life, unrealistic kind of RG gray areas. Yeah, it sounds like there could be like a a few different approaches that can be taken towards marketing. And I feel like that approach is a lot of times influenced by external factors. the first one that comes, like the main one that comes to mind is maybe the state of like the current economy and maybe how that can affect purchases of lottery. Well, for me, it could either maybe increase it or maybe if you could people have less spending money, does that kind of play into your maybe creative strategy at all or like the art direction? So it's actually funny. Well, it's not funny, but uh, <laughs> typically when there is a downturn, we actually see a spike in sales, right. um, which again, it's you have to be sensitive to that because when people are already potentially lowering, lowering their, you know, their household income, they've ha- they're having struggles, you know, is that the right opportunity to really be going in with a very hard sell. It's not necessarily that we need to, um, you know, par back our campaigns or our media spend, but it's it's maybe not the right time to really be driving home, um, you know, like those upsell tickets or things like that, which, I mean, we, we have a little bit less control of that when it comes to when you're at point of purchase and, you know, if someone at the counter asks you to, add on a Western max ticket to your lotto max purchase. But from a larger kind of media campaign standpoint, um, we just want to be a little bit more sensitive to what's going on in the economy and um, the trends that we're seeing in both like our customers and the industry as a whole. But I think overall we 
tend to stay away from anything that is kind of on those polarizing sides of the scale. So we we like to try and find creative concepts and, you know, working with the WCLC on, you know, product strategy and things like that in terms of how do we create something that is exciting, it's engaging, it gets people interested, it is driving sales, but it is not a sales pitch. Yeah, do you have an example of that? I'm just trying to think of of maybe something that our listeners could see as like a tangible um, example of this. Yeah, so I think um, the Western Spot, Western Max Spot that we produced recently, um, which aired this past fall, um, is a really good example of that. There, there isn't a ton of dialogue. It's very much focused on the Western Max um, branded balls that you would see in a lot of the other materials. Very similar to Lotto Max, but just branded in these um, kind of bronze and gold colors to represent the regional basis of being located only in the West. And um, it's the entire spot is really just about showing um, the provinces and you know players, customers that winning is everywhere in the West. That was kind of the main message driver that we were um, looking to get across in the spot, and it's really just kind of focused on those reactions of people in their everyday life, seeing these balls kind of, you know, burst out of things. It's surprising. And that's kind of when they're realizing like, those are my winning numbers. I won. Um, but without, you know, drawing too much attention to the actual, the numbers themselves or things like that, Especially with draw-based games, I guess that's another consideration I, I didn't touch on earlier, but whenever we're representing a draw-based ticket in a spot, we don't like to do a ton of close-ups on the numbers because there are people who think that if we've placed those numbers in the spot, those are the winning numbers. Um, even though they're completely arbitrary, we use like mock tickets, they're not real but um, there, there are people who are very superstitious about either the numbers they pick or what they may see kind of in any media, creative. And um, so we, we just want to also be sensitive to that as well. So that's something you can see in the spot. We do um, feature the ticket. You can see the numbers very briefly, but there's almost an immediate pan up to the rest of the scene. So it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty good example of um, being sensitive, but also creating something where we're trying to get an emotional reaction out of the viewer. It's, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the emotional uh, reaction that you try to to achieve, um, because to me, the entire the the lotto industry and marketing for them seems almost like a marketer's dream because you have these huge budgets. And you can kind of play around with all these different types of, of approaches where there'd be like the emotional, like you mentioned, there's the aspirational. Sometimes you can do like the super wacky, funny thing, like Josh mentioned, buying a giraffe earlier because you <laughs> yeah. won the lottery. Um, so like, first of all, what would be, what's like your favorite approach, you know, out of all of them, because you do have that sense of freedom to kind of experiment. And just as a tag along question, what's your favorite thing about marketing for the lottery industry? So I would I would say number one I I really love having the opportunity to work with WCLC again, especially in Alberta with the just the tendency for a lot of 
not necessarily smaller clients, but just clients who have a different focus. They're choosing to invest their dollars differently. Um, Lotteries is actually the only client that I've in my career had the opportunity to perform TV for. So um, that's always really exciting. It's super fun getting to see these storyboard sketches um, through shoot day and then the final product of, you know, what actually goes up on screen. But I think the thing our creative teams like most about it is that they they get a true opportunity to be creative. You know, they're given these parameters that, you know, they're challenged to having to address them, but also coming back with creative that is strong. It's different. It's going to stand out. And um, and I think we're very lucky that even though we may be promoting um, a product that is available in other provinces, such as um, Big Spin, we have the ability to put our own spin on it. So even though it was launched first in Ontario through OLG, we weren't regulated to use their creative spots to promote that product. And it gives us a little bit of a chance to look at things through a little bit of a Western lens, but also how can we make it better? You know, depending on the creative team, every creative team is looking at, they could be given the same brief. They're going to come back with different options. But I think the ones that we've seen a lot of um, reception to lately have been the ones that have a little bit more of that entertainment value. So um, Big Spin, for instance, the real big, um, I guess, draw to that one was that they they redid or licensed um, Hey Big Spender and they wrote an entire spot where the retailer is essentially singing to the, the winner, Hey Big Spinner. So it's very catchy. It gets in your head. You think about it. You remember it. Um, it's performed very well. It's actually back out in market right now here in, in March. And and then also with the Christmas spot that we recently did for the Player's Choice Mega Pack, you know, we the the creative team's original inspiration for that was actually um kind of the the Kill Bill style um Quentin Tarantino um scenes from from you know, those kind of movies with the slow-mo and they're interacting and there's frenzy. And, you know, that's, you know, we par that back to be, um, again, fit under the lottery's brand and to address those those things from like a responsible gaming perspective and whatnot. But, you know, that that's something that I don't think a lot of other clients may have been as receptive to hearing if we're you know, going in with a storyboard saying, now imagine Kill Bill. <laughs> That's not our brand. Um, and so I think it's, it's we, we have a really wide breadth of what we can do with the brand because oftentimes we're able to market these different products as if they're, they've got their own personalities. So you know, the way that we marketed Western Max with that aspirational, more emotional feel, um, a little bit different than the kind of punchy singing, you know, high kick style of uh, Big Spin. I 
had two questions that popped up in my head. And the first one I saw when I was researching lottery marketing, I was just looking at recent campaigns kind of across Canada. And I saw an interesting one in Ontario surrounding Lunar New Year. And it's kind of a cool idea for like the Chinese New Year to have lottery involved because it's all about like good fortune in mm-hmm. that kind of time of year. So it shows like also the lottery industry trying to reach newer demographics and people that probably wouldn't traditionally be playing uh, the game. Is that something that has been changing a lot is like trying to reach a new demographic? Yeah, definitely. And I think from at the largest scale, it's definitely those those younger players. I mean, we always try and look for opportunities. Um, New York Lotteries, for instance, which is a McCann New York client, they do a really good job from a social perspective of that's typically a channel where they're promoting some of those smaller tickets that like they're never going to produce a TV spot around a jack-o'-lantern ticket that only um, is available for a very finite period of time and really only seasonal around kind of October, Halloween. But they use those channels to be a little bit more timely and and things like that. And so we're definitely seeing a shift and trying to look at the again more of the more of the scratch portfolio and kind of seeing you know are there any you know cool smaller tickets that you know they don't need a huge campaign but are there key moments where we could you know be a little bit more relevant um so for instance there is a ticket called Meow Meow. It is literally a cat branded scratch ticket. I play it all the time because I think it's really cute. And um, so, you know, potentially looking at if we were to get on to a more, um, I guess, more detailed or in-depth content strategy, could you be pushing that ticket out um, on kind of those more owned channels around something like National Cat Day? And so I think it's definitely a consideration and something that is coming more and more into play, particularly with, um, you know, we already are seeing some of um, Gen Z coming of age and being eligible to start playing um, some of these products. And how do we make these games appealing to them when they may associate lottery and lottery products with people like their parents or grandparents and not necessarily themselves. Yeah, you keep giving us these great segues into our next questions because <laughs> we actually wanted to talk about the millennials and Gen Zs next um, because everyone talks about how they are much more conscious shoppers and they're, they, they're a lot more selective of where they spend their money. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, also like we have less money now and you know, right out of university, uh, we don't have as much money as our parents did before. Um, so you mentioned like trying to make it more interactive and more engaging, but there's also always going to be that financial barrier for us. Um, is that like a, a significant struggle for you? And outside of maybe making it more creative, how do you try to combat that? It's interesting because we actually see that um, it's it's usually some of the younger players, not necessarily like quite right out, but you know, that kind of 25 to 30 is typically the, the player who is playing the more expensive scratch. They're they're less likely to be a consistent um, player of a draw-based game like a 649 or a Lotto Max, and that's simply because it's just not a habit that they grew up with. They probably they may or may not have seen um, their parents directly doing it. But um, so we don't we tend not to see a, a 
I guess, a committed draw bass player out of those younger demos. But we do still see upticks around, you know, when those jackpots start to get really large, um, you know, that's generally when we'll see kind of those those younger demos, you know, okay, well, this week it's it's 70 million. I'll, I'll take a chance. I'll buy a ticket. But we actually see around the, the $10 price, the $5 and $10 price point for um, our scratch portfolio products is where we see a lot of the the younger players and that's not necessarily because they are buying a card every week but it's just that you know they may be you know at retail they see them at the counter they might pick one up they might kind of enjoy it from time to time and and so even though some of those products are at a higher price point for them it's it's still only $10 and it's they're viewing it as an exchange for the experience, the entertainment. And I think that's something that we're trying to um, focus on and leverage is the entertainment value that the product is providing versus relying on transference, I guess, of interests from, you know, grandparents, parents now to this generation. Because we're finding that with millennials as well. It's not just Gen Z. We don't have a ton of millennials who are dedicated lottery players and so it's really learning and understanding what is the gap what isn't being offered through you know the current selection of products what's missing and how do we attract those players back the challenge we've seen is that there's been a really big dramatic shift in gaming as a whole not only within lotteries, but just kind of that larger category space to um, wanting to play with others. So even if you're interacting solo, you may be playing a, a video game, you're generally online playing with a group. And so that is a limitation at, at this time for something like Scratch. It's not really something that you can do together, even though you you can do them together it is it's not really i guess a an engagement thing that you can do with friends um you can do it alongside them but i don't think that's something that is going to be able to be addressed immediately it's going to be more about focusing on being in the right channels the right space the where are they consuming media and being more cognizant of providing something that is customized to that end user. So, I mean, that's just a trend we're seeing high level all marketing every industry is if we're going to be collecting this this data on you, we better be using it for marketing that is going to be valuable to you and that is going to provide you with something. And so, we're taking a deeper look into when when we're doing our briefs, when we're looking at our segmentation, where are they? How often are they on these certain channels? Um, we're seeing a, a larger drive towards video and pre-roll, which, I mean, that's been a trend for a while, but that's becoming a larger channel to reach those younger audiences without having to reallocate a lot of the spend away from older demos. So I, I definitely think there's a lot of growth to be had in the space, but it's going to be a slow evolution just based on the, the nature of the game and the fact that it is a government adjacent um, industry.
I think the comparison between younger and older demos within the lottery space is really, really interesting. But I'm I'm just curious in like why older demos for them, it was so habitual and almost traditional to to, put, to use a lottery, but now it, for some reason it isn't. I think it it's just kind of based on societal preferences at the time and trends. I mean, I even think of, you know, my dad buys a lottery ticket very consistently. I don't know if he necessarily buys one every single week, but I know that he plays. He always picks the same numbers and it's just not something even I myself never got into. And I think it's just maybe there, I mean, it's hard to say potentially back then there could have been less, uh, less stringent regulations in terms of who was seeing that advertising. I think too, when we look back at our, our grandparents and, you know, if they were buying tickets, potentially that was one of the only forms of entertainment they may have had, you know, they may have grown up with radio and lottery tickets. And so I think as we've continued to have these technological advances, we have more access to boredom busters, things, you know, we've got apps, we've got everything that sits in our phone. We're never really looking for a way to cease boredom. And I think for a long time, things like these, especially the the quick action products like Scratch, that's that was a real um, gap that they were filling in the market at the time was something to pass the time. It was exciting. You had that anticipation of, am I going to win? And I think there's a lot more competition with um, free apps and games that can potentially offer a similar feeling or um, fill a certain need that doesn't have as much of an investment. So, you know, you could get a free app like, what was it called? Angry Birds. I mean, that was something where, yeah, you're not getting a monetary payoff, but you're still getting something that you're engaging with. You're trying to either beat yourself or someone else. And so, it, you know, lotteries, I think, is kind of forced to evolve and reevaluate and continue to challenge themselves and challenge the creative teams they work with to keep them relevant, keep them top of mind, keep them attractive, and to keep them relevant in a space where you know, we're, we're constantly changing and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. Well, that was a great discussion on lottery marketing. And uh, for our final question, we usually have some piece of advice or thing about your own personal career. So for you, um, what do you think you'd attribute most to your success this far in your marketing career? So I would say definitely two things. Um, one, I was really lucky that when I started my career, I worked with a lot of really great people who gave me opportunities to learn, to fail, and they were really invested in my growth. So I think if you can find um, a mentor or mentors or you're lucky enough to land in a in a job with people who are willing to teach and are willing to help, don't be afraid to ask questions. I will, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people here in Edmonton will know Ryan Kelly. Um, he's been a really big member of the, the creative industry here for a very long time. And he was my first creative director that I had the opportunity to work with when he was at Red. And, you know, he was really always open about if you had a question, he was not there to 
belittle or make you feel stupid. He just wanted to teach. He was a very great teacher. And, you know, I remember radio tags. I didn't know what that was. I walking up to his desk and being like, do you know what a donut is? And he was like, could you write me some? And he was like, scribble, scribble. Here you go. No problem. Yeah. These just play at the end, you know, kind of gave me a rundown. And then he's like, there you go. And so I think, um, like that's not always everyone's experience. And, um, so I think that's definitely shaped me and really given me a lot of valuable knowledge that I might not have had otherwise. And then secondly, just specifically from like an accounts or a more, I guess, marketing generalist role is I think one of the things my clients have always appreciated, no matter whether they're internal clients or external across any of the agencies I've been with is um, transparent communications. You know, don't try and lie and cover something up. If you make a mistake, own it and be prepared with an action plan of either how you've already fixed it or how you're going to fix it and how you're going to avoid this happening in the future. Um, it's always worse if client has to come to you and ask why something happened because generally nine, nine out of 10 times, they're going to be more upset that they were caught with their pants down in front of their boss, their stakeholders, people they report into than um, if you would have just come to them directly and they could have gotten ahead of things internally themselves. And so transparent communications, key, and also organization. I think, um, especially with account management, you are the person who is keeping that project on track. You've got to wrangle your creative team, but you've also got to hold your client accountable. And I think that is sometimes, sometimes challenging. We can feel that we're at the mercy of our, our clients' timelines, but I think it's about knowing how and when to push back and to really position it as if, if you need to do any type of delay or, um, or whatnot, that again, it's you're prepared with a solution or a really strong argument as to why this change is going to benefit the client at the end of the day. So Great. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be our quote of the day for this episode. Uh, that's uh, transparent communication and organization and how they can, they can help you find success in the account manager and the account director roles. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming and chatting with us about the lottery industry and your time at McCann. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that, that's it for this episode. Yeah, safe travels back to Calgary. Thank you. stick around to find out about how you can get involved in the podcast next year while well, we're looking for a co-host and a podcast producer so they're two different roles the co-host would be working with mo to get guests on the show and would sit down with guests and interview them and then the producer will be there in the interviews and also brainstorming the different episodes but they'll be more on the back end of things and mixing and actually producing the episode so they're two different roles that require two different skill sets, but don't worry if you don't think you have the right skills or anything like that, because we both started with no skills and just learned them along the way. So if you're interested, just DM us on Instagram, or you can send me a text at 780-999-7119. Look forward to hearing from you guys.